to turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 for our text today. And the title of my message is The Christian Epitaph. Now I'm aware that uh, some of you may not be um, normally using that word, especially if you're younger, you're not thinking about what that word may indicate. But uh, the word epitaph is a summary statement of commemoration for a dead person. That's what that means. So I, I'm a, very much aware that in this room there might be those who have recently lost loved ones or are very sensitive about that kind of subject. And uh, we certainly want you to be aware that we're not uh, interested in causing you any more pain in discussing that particular subject, but I do believe it's an important subject for us to approach today, and I'm trusting that you'll feel the same after I finish this message. But first of all, I want to give you a little bit uh, of context for what we're talking about when we're speaking of epitaphs. And so I chose a few of these from the internet, and I uh, trust you'll enjoy them. The first one was found in a Georgia cemetery where the epitaph on the tombstone was, I told you I was sick. <laughs> then there's this one, the children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him manna. <laughs> That's really bad, isn't it? Or here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Or here lays Butch, we planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. And then <clears throat> this one hasn't re re received much response in the uh, previous two services. I was somebody who is no business of yours. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Here lies the body of our Anna, done to death by a banana. It wasn't the fruit that laid her low, but the skin of the thing that made her go. She slipped on a banana peel, right? <clears throat> sure you got that. And then here lies Ezekiel Eichel, age 102. The good die young. <laughs> or here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. I got a good response out of that one in the second service. <clears throat> or here's one, a guy named Owen Moore. Gone away, Owen Moore than he could pay. Or here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. That's really cold, isn't it? All right, so we're going to read this scripture, which to me is, it contains in it the Christian epitaph, and one that I would like to have um, said over me in my, um, well, whenever that's appropriate. So let's begin to read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I fear that's where we are in our nation in many respects. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Paul is getting ready for his own death. And he's encouraging his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The genesis of this message was, of course, in the news reports of so many deaths that have happened recently and so tragically. Uh, Not the least, of course, and most shockingly, is the shooting of the nine Christians in the AME Church in South Carolina. But in this same time period and since, there have been literally hundreds and thousands of people who have died over these past uh, last 10 days or so. Some of them through war, terrorist bombings. Recently, in three separate nations, there were bombings and hundreds of people Uh, were killed as a result of them. And so this causes us to pause and reflect, and it requires, I believe, believers in Christ everywhere to evaluate how they feel about death and dying. Even this morning as we were singing, we we were singing about this subject. Do you remember that song about how Christ has overcome? And what did he overcome? He overcame death. Yes. The war with death is raging, it says. And there's much in that song about how we do battle with death and how Christ has already won the victory over death. And we want to talk about that and have a good understanding of that in our spiritual life. Now, I don't intend or want to be morbid today. Uh, but our own mortality should be given some purposeful thought. Now, this is not unusual for us in our daily lives because when we go to a funeral, we usually go to what? A mortuary, right? When we go to the bank to get a house loan, what do we get there? We get a mortgage. So in these words that I've given you, morbid, uh, mortality, mortuary, and mortgage, the foundation of that word is something to do with death. Now, I know you don't think about that when you sign that 30-year mortgage, but, you know. (laughs) Did you know that in some countries today, they are giving 100-year mortgages now because the property is so expensive that one generation can't pay it off and they pass the mortgage on to the next generation. So the mortgage just, you know, surpasses death. So I want you to ask the question, as I have, how do I feel about dying? Now, I'm not making up a load today. I just want you to know. 
We're not going on up to glory. But all around us, people do die. And the fact is that in this room, there is 100% of people who are going to die one day. And that's a very sobering thought for us. Now, most of you are quite a bit younger than me. And at my age, I'm 70 years old, and I've been given some thought to this subject for quite a while now. And with just a little transparency, I'd like to tell you that once in a while, I'll wake up in the night, and I have this, this strong fear or, or a kind of a panic feeling about what's it going to be like to die. Because I have lost my own parents, and I saw that their passing was somewhat difficult in the physical sense. And so all of us have, and naturally so, feelings about these things and wonderment about how that's going to be. Uh, one, of, one of the brothers came to me after the second service, uh, weeping, tears coming down his eyes, and, and uh, such, such a, uh, a fear had gripped him of what death might mean. He wasn't that old either. So we need to talk about this. We need to think about what does the scripture say regarding my mortality. Now the scripture gives us plenty to think about on this subject. Life and death are primary subjects of scripture and we are wise when we search out the scriptural truths concerning them. In fact, much teaching today in the church is about felt needs, about what people feel like they need to know. How do I handle a rebellious child? How do I fix my marriage? How do I manage my money? How do I live a better life? And so on. And these are all worthy subjects upon which the scripture gives wonderful insights. However, when life gets really serious and whenever we get down to, as we used to say, to brass tacks or we come to the end of our rope, we tend to think about death and dying. These are the sobering things which we consider. So today I want to share with you a few thoughts on this subject, beginning with the fact that Christians are already dead to the world and to sin. We, we are to be already dead to the world and to sin. And I'd like to have you turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would please, to chapter 6. And we'll talk about for a moment what the Apostle Paul had to say regarding this issue. And this is just one short portion of scripture, uh, and there are many others to which we could refer today. So in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, let me read for you, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And that's exactly what's been happening today in the baptismal tank is that people have been illustrating what has happened in the spiritual realm as we came up out of the water, having been buried in it, now we are resurrected, and it is a picture of what Christ has already done in our life. 
Verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. The illustration, of course, and the picture is that if you go out to the graveyard and the cemetery, you're not going to find any sinning people there. Because he that is dead is freed from sin. And so we are to consider ourselves in that same vein as dead to the world and to sin. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice these four points through those scriptures. That we have died to sin, so how shall we live in it any longer? Those of you that are struggling with issues in your life, and you're reminded from day to day about the sinful behavior in which you may have been involved, you should look to this scripture and believe that you have died to sin and that you do not need to live in it any longer. And then we were baptized or plunged into his death. When we were baptized into Christ by faith, we were plunged into, we were baptized into his death. We became identified with the death of Christ and the death of the old man came upon us. The, the, the old man was crucified with him. And then it says, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. So this portion of scripture talks about some pretty important concepts when it comes to death and dying and resurrection by the way that we are to consider ourselves notice it says in verse 11 likewise you also reckon yourselves or consider yourselves so in the same way that Christ died once and he dies no more the same is true for you and this is a powerful revelation of scripture there are many other passages similar which are word pictures to illustrate that the life of God always triumphs the life of sin. An overcoming life. Look at verse 9 and 10. Death has no more dominion over him. He lives to God. That's how we should consider ourselves as well. When we have come to Christ, death has no more dominion over us. We do not need to fear it or its grip because we live unto God. One of my personal favorites in scripture on this subject is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 through 4. And I want to read it for you out of the New Living Translation. And to me, this has been one of the most helpful revelations and biblical passages. And I've used it in many funeral sermons. 
beginning to read at verse 1 through 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we still have a house, or we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this and as a guarantee he has given us the Holy Spirit. I want you to focus your attention on the latter part of verse 4. In the King James and the New King James Version it says that mortality will be swallowed up by life. What is mortality? Mortality is life that ends in death. All of us have mortality right here. It's a common possession among us all. And so that mortality which we have now in Christ is swallowed up by life. So what's to fear? There's nothing for us to worry about because what we have now is going to become eternal life, full life, complete life, the Christ life. And then in John chapter 14, you'll find similar words where Jesus said he was going away and he would prepare a place for us that where he is, there we may be also. So while we live here on the earth in this human or temporal body, our eternal life is hidden with Christ in God who is in heaven. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that. We can have confidence today that our life is hid with Christ in God. And we are able to have comfort as a result of it. So the second point is that while we are here upon the earth, we must live as citizens of heaven. Now this is where the rub comes in. This is where it's a little difficult for us to get hold of. How can I live as though I were in heaven, even though I'm still upon the earth? Well, let's talk about it from the scripture. Philippians chapter 3. If you want to turn over there, please. Philippians chapter 3. And I'd love to read this entire chapter, but I, I won't do it because of the time factor today. But I'll choose some verses out of it, beginning at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse uh, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that portion of scripture. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does it look like to be a citizen of heaven? Well, a citizen, as you know, is a native or naturalized member of a state. And of course, we in the Christian state are adopted into this family. And the scripture says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5 that we might receive adoption as sons. So we have taken on or we have been given through faith in Christ the status of citizens of heaven. Here's the great challenge for every believer. How do I live in a heavenly way while being bound to earth by my humanity? It's always that struggle, right? The conflict of our humanity and its desire for gratification and the call of God to his will and righteous and holy living. This, these are the issues with which every person struggles. And if you're struggling with them this week, you're not special. You're just like the rest of us. That we all have to deal with these issues. We all have to behave as citizens of heaven while we are living here upon the earth. And answering this question for yourself will assure you of a victorious Christian life. And it will assure you the entrance into the heavenly kingdom. But you must answer this question for yourself. No one else can do it for you. So I want to give you three quick, quick how-tos. These have been helpful to me. I believe they will be helpful to you if you make them a part of your life. The first one is to live like Christ lived upon the earth. We are known as Christians, little Christs. So we should live as Christ lived upon the earth. And you say to me, well, that's easy for you to say. But it's also possible for us to do. Otherwise, God would not have given us the direct command. And in the book of John, chapter 8 and verse 29, here's how Jesus did it. He said, I always do the will of my Father which is in heaven. So we get up every day with the idea that we are going to do exactly as if Jesus were to do it if he was here. And he actually is because he lives within you by the Holy Spirit. 
So I think it's a good idea, if you're struggling with these things, to put this scripture, John 8, 29, I always do the will of my Father. You put that on your bathroom mirror, and every morning when you brush your teeth, you make the decision that whatever you do today, you're going to do like Jesus would do it. It's not just a saying. It's a principle by which we accomplish heaven's citizenship upon the earth. Secondly, we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Acts 1.8 says that we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we would be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Living in the power of the Holy Spirit is the normal status for a Christian. It's not something that only the most spiritual ones of us do. We are each one given the ability and the expectation to be able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit as we go about our daily lives and interact with people upon this earth. Both of those are possible. And the third one is live by the principles of God's word. You said, boy, you've just, you've just said three hard things. Live like Christ lived upon the earth. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then live by the principles of God's word. But if you stay in the scripture, you will find out what those principles are. And you will understand how those things are done rather easily. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 is my life scripture. It's become that in the last number of years. And it is such a powerful verse that I use it in almost every conversation I have with folks I'm trying to disciple or help to grow in Christ. And it is this. The, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and to the joints and marrow of the bone and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'd like to unpack that with you for just a moment. Because some of you may not realize that when you read the Bible, these are the benefits that you get. It's not just that we need to know about the Bible intellectually. We need to have the Bible in our spirit man. Because the Bible is alive and powerful which means it will interact with your own very life and have a transformative effect upon you if you will adopt and live by its principles. Notice it says it is sharp, sharper than any sword. It's any, more sharp than any sword you've ever seen. It goes so far as to divide between the soul and the spirit. We don't know how to do that, do we? We don't know exactly where the soul leaves off and where the spirit begins. But the word of God has the ability to differentiate that which is soulish and that which is spirit. And the word of God speaks to those two, two um, aspects of your life. But not only that, it says that the word of God also goes to the joints and the marrow of the bone. What do you find in the marrow of the bone? Some of you medical people. What comes from the marrow? Red blood cells. And the scripture says the life 
is in the blood. If you stop producing red blood cells today, your life will soon be over. So the Bible has the ability to go to the very core of our being where the fountain of life begins. That in the very marrow of our bone where our red blood cells are formed, the word of God has the ability and the power to go there and be a part of your very life force. That's why the Bible is important. But it also does one more thing. The Bible goes to discern between the thoughts and the motive of your heart. So it will help you have the kind of motives that you need in your life to live for Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how it's done. This is, these are the three easy steps to the Christian life, if you will. This is how not to be afraid of the future and of death, which will come to all of us. So the final thing I'd like to say to you today is this. We need to determine to finish well. All of us are going to finish one day. Some of us it'll be sooner than others and we don't know when that's going to be for any of us. The old country song said when I was young, this was an old song then, live fast, love hard, die young, and leave a beautiful memory. I don't think that's the way to do it. It's not the way to leave a beautiful memory for sure. And it's not the way to have a Christian epitaph over your life. We are not promised tomorrow. The people in that church in South Carolina, they sat down for a Bible study with a strange boy and some of them did not go home to their beds that night. They went to their home in heaven. How do we understand that? I'm trying to help you day, today to realize that none of us have the promise of tomorrow. We only have today. Hebrews 3.12, exhort one another while it is called today. Verse 15, today if you hear his voice. Hebrews 4.7, today if you hear his voice. You know why the scripture repeats itself? It's not because God stuttered. It's because he wanted you to get the import of that message. Verse 9 and 10 of Hebrews 4, there remains a rest for the people of God. He who has entered into his rest has ceased from his own labors or works as God did from his. So when we receive Christ by faith, we enter into his rest. And that's where we all ought to live our lives. In a position of composure and rest and restoration. How do we do it? Live for today. Today is the key. Live for God today. The past is gone. Christ has put it under his own blood. You cannot change or relive your past. But you can put it under God's grace. You can receive God's grace for your life. The future, it's not here yet. So you have no control over it. Do not try to live in the future. 
because Christ has the future well in hand. Trust him. When I was young, I was taught this axiom, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Be ready to preach, pray, testify, or die in five minutes' notice. I think it's a good axiom. It's a good philosophy. And it comes from the text of our verse today. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But not only to me, to all who love his appearing. So today, let's let that be the Christian epitaph over our life. That I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. And when we have done so, we will be ushered in according to his promise to all that he has prepared for us in the heavenly kingdom.